0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Okay. This week's parasha This week's parsha is parsha for Yigash. A love Yehuda. So this is a story where where Yehuda confronts Yosef, not knowing, of course, that he's Yosef. And the question is, why did he wait till now? Last week's parasha, week before, Yosef was talking to Yehuda. He sent them back up to um, to, to his father Yaakov. He said, bring me back the other brother. Bring back Benyamin. There was no confrontation. There was no there was no threat. He wasn't threatening him. All of a sudden now, when got of Yehuda, he approaches him by Yom and he says, Be my master. I want to tell you something in your ear. He Kaparo. Many before him say he Kaparo. Just like I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill Paro. Just like, just like you're a liar, Paro is a liar. He was very, very threatening. We'll learn a little bit of Medrash tonight, Yalka Shimoni, that I don't understand what this means exactly. Great, two things it says there. Number one, it says that he got so angry he was wearing six shirts. Six shirts, one on top of the other. And his chest here, he got so angry, went through all six shirts. It says that when Yehuda got very angry, his chest here became like nails. So Yosef knew all about Yehuda, and he got very nervous. And it says that he screamed so loud that Chushim Ben Don, who was deaf, Chushim Ben Don was deaf. Right? We know the story by um, by the ma'ar Samach Pela when they were burying. Um, they were burying Yaakov Avinu, so Esav came and there was a whole fight. And Chushim could not understand what Esav was saying. I'm sorry, they were burying. I think they were burying Yitzchak actually, and uh, whatever. And there was this. And Chushim, how they were burying Yaakov or Yitzchak? They were burying. It could be it was Yitzchak. No, I think it was Yaakov. I'm not sure. But anyway, whatever was going on there, Chushim was deaf, and he saw Esav making trouble, so he just chopped his head off, and his head rolled into the Maros Pela So Chushim was deaf. But the Yalkut Shemoni says that Yehuda yelled so loud that Chushim, who was in Eretz okay, so he was in Mitzrayim, so loud that Chushim in Eretz heard him scream. I guess the vibrations. I guess he was deaf. So Yehuda wasn't to be messed with—that's for sure. But we're going to see something very beautiful about who Yosef I think I think that re- people don't really really realize. Who Yosef Atzadik at was and, and uh, the greatness of his midah. Because the first time that we're actually... I wish I could be like Yosef Atzadik. At you got to really work on your midos. Um The first time that we're introduced to Yosef, to Yosef in Pashtun Yeshev, right? Really the first thing that Torah tells us about Yosef... Eola told us, Yaakov, Yosef and Shavash Reishana. He was 17 years old. It's Echabat he was a shepherd. And the first thing the Torah tells us about it is Rashi says that the other brothers were making fun of the brothers from the maidservants from Billah and Zilpah, and Yosef stood up for them. The first thing you see about Yosef at Sade is that he was very anti-bullying, very anti-bullying. He stood up for the brothers that were being bullied by the other brothers. Did these brothers come to save him later on when the other brothers were trying to sell him? No. You know, no good deed goes unpunished. We know that. That's uh, The more you deal with the public, the more you learn that very sad lesson that people come to me all the time with problems and problems, but they never come back and tell you that the problems were solved. You only hear the problem. My Rebbe, Rabbi always says, nobody comes back and says, I found the Shidduch. I'm getting married. Uh, things worked out. You meet them four years later. They're like, wow, you look great. Oh, yeah, everything worked out. Yeah, everything was right. Oh, your advice was amazing. Oh, thank you very much. I- I'm not sleeping at night because I'm worried about, okay, not really, but whatever. Right? And I'm worried about you. And so, so you know, you have to learn that you don't do good deeds for the, um when you're daven on Shabbos. So we say a Misha Berach After you Kumpur Between shachris and, and musaf, And in there we say V'chol Misha Oiskin B'Tzorchei tzibur Hakosh B'ochu Yishalim scharam. Anyone who works with the tzibur, Hashem should pay their Sekhar their, their So everybody asks the question Why specifically if you work with the tibur? It's because nobody else will pay the Sekhar No one else is going to say thank you Hashem will say thank you So it's not about thank yous People make that mistake And um I had a, a, a disagreement with someone who's very close to me in my family. Um, I'm not going to tell you who, but very close to me. And that person felt very much that you don't have to do for others what they won't do for you. In other words, if, if at 3 o'clock in the morning you called your friend and she'd come out and change your tire, then if she calls you at 3 o'clock in the morning, you got to change her tire. But if she's not willing to change your tire... You don't need to you don't need to change you don't need to change her life. She's not willing to do your tire. I totally disagree with that. The reason you do good is not because the other person will do good for you. Guess what? Later on in life you'll be no, doing nothing good cuz most people won't be doing anything good for you. So if you do good it's about you doing good. It doesn't matter if the other person is going to do back good or would do good. Very unimportant. A person should always focus on it's about me. It's not about them. I don't need the thank you. The thank you actually I personally, I don't need a thank you, but the thank you is for you. If you're ungrateful, then then it's it's very bad for your midos. It's not about me. It's not about you thanking me. It's about you thanking. That's a mida. And if you don't thank a person and you don't appreciate, it's about you. It's not about the person you're thanking. Hashem doesn't need you to say thank you in the morning, modani. You need to say thank you. So people make that mistake. It's like, oh, I have to say thank you because the other person, otherwise they are going to be insulted. no. If the person doesn't need to thank you. Some people do, but people who really do good, they don't they don't do it for thanks because you won't you'll stop doing things. Because you don't get very unusual that people thank you for what you do. It's pretty much an expectation. I think there are more people out there that don't like me than do like me. Like Walton, what are you saying? Right? Because a lot of people call me. I don't get a chance to call them back. So they're angry at me. It's like, what do you mean? What do you mean you call me back? You owe me. Why do I owe you? I don't even owe you, right? The end is that people think you owe them. So if you owe them, if you owe me, then why should I say thank you if you do something for me? Kids tell their parents all the time, like, that's your job. I mean, you got to buy me a car. I mean, that's your job, you know? And, and, and for kind i got to get a present every night. What do you mean? That's your job. So they're very unappreciative. I, I told you once, I had a girl, she got a new Volvo. She's 18 years old, a new Volvo. When I was 18 years old, I got a new bicycle. She got a new Volvo. And she's mouthing off to her parents. She's such a machutza. And they're in my office. And I I said to her, forget about Kivudov Aim. You got a Volvo. How do you talk to your parents? They just bought you a Volvo. You're 18 years old. I don't have a Volvo. And she's like, what what, what are you saying? Like, what's my father's job? He has to get me a car. I'm 18. I went, uh, hello, right? It's a generation. Hello, you got to get me an iPhone. What do you mean you're not getting me an iPhone? It's your job. So I told the girl, "Wow, I didn't know your parents work for you. This is a big kiddish Your parents work for you. They have a job. Their job is giving their kids working, and that's taka. So gratitude. Don't depend on gratitude. Do it because you want to do something good. Don't do it for a thank you." do it because you want to help somebody else that's it so even if they won't do it for you just the opposite if they'll do it for you so really deep down you're not doing a chesed it's an eye for an eye they'll do it for me so do it for them so that doesn't mean you're a kind person you'll you'll do my tire I'll do your tire so that's not a kind person a kind person is a person who says I will not do your tire I will not get up in the middle of the night if you call me I would never do this for you ah that's the one you want to do it for because then you know it's a real chesed it's it's not just a trade off just the opposite. Just the opposite. Don't hold your breath for thank yous. It's not what it's about. You should say thank you, but don't hold your breath. That's not what... So I, so, so, Yosef at Tadik learned this the hard way. Here he is. He's defending. He's not one of them. He is Rachel Imenu's son. He's at the top. These guys are being made fun of by the six tribes from Leah. No one's making fun of Yosef. Yosef is, uh, is, is from Rachel. Rachel was Yaakov's, you know, I'm not going to say favorite wife, but favorite wife, right? So, Solomisa, or very, 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 you know, he, he worked for her originally. So, Yosef was like the king. He sent his possum, his father is chosen. He didn't have to defend these guys. He wasn't a Shifcha's kid, he was Rachel's kid. And he went out. The first thing the Torah tells us about him is he fought for them. And he went to his father, and he said, it's not fear what's going on over here. And these guys didn't stop him from being sold. Didn't even say, eh, maybe we should think about it. They said nothing. So this was an unbelievable middah that Yetzirah had. He had this Mida of caring, a sensitivity to other people. And I spoke about it this past Shabbos, and Shabbos Khanaka. Because that sensitivity to other people, and many times we get hurt and we get turned off and we, we don't do chesed anymore because we get smacked in the head for doing it. I can't tell you how many guys that I know that, that really were good guys and wanted to help the world and the world didn't appreciate them and not only didn't appreciate them but, you know, threw rocks at them and they said, you know what, have a good day, I'm done. Uh, I'm not helping. There's a very, very famous story I think it was the Divrei Chaim who's was a Rebbe And one of the Hasidim came to him And asked him um, He needed 20,000 ruble To make a wedding And he didn't have the money And usually the Rebbe would give like two 3,000 ruble But this guy was begging and begging And his, his daughter had a very hard time making a shidduch So he really needed this money So the Rebbe said I never did this But what I'm going to do for you Is I am going to collect it myself and it says that the Chaim. I believe it was the Chaim, he got dressed as a pauper And he went into other into peasants, into villages, which he never did before And he actually collected for like months by himself, the Rebbe And he finally made the 20,000 20, ruble And he made a big tish for all the Hasidim And he asked the Hasidim to get him a huge bowl of cherries now, the Rebbe does, never ate cherries before, right? And everybody was like, Whoa, my fist, Moifes, my fist, the pits, who knows, is going to grow a beanstalk, who knows, love, magic. The Rebbe, the Rebbe doesn't eat cherries, right? And he goes ahead and he, he calls this guy in and he gives him the 20,000 ruble. He collected 20,000 ruble. And he says, sit here next to me. And he gives out these, a cherry to every chassid. I remember reading the story, it's fascinating. And he said, do me a favor, when you finish the cherry... Send me back the pit So each chaste took cherry, Ate the cherry Put a pit in a plate And sent it back So the Gabbai collected All the pits From all the All the chassidim, And he had this huge bowl Of pits Cherry pits And everyone's looking They're like Well this is unbelievable Mashiach is coming Cherry pits You know like Whenever the Rebbe Does something that's not normal Like cherry pits Maybe the gemachi of cherry is Mashiach Ah who knows They were starting You know all the rumors Were flying uh, You know what I mean Yeshiva World was talking about it. Eh, it was going crazy, right? Bus is nice. Forget it. So they're all looking at the chassidim and like, what's going on here? He takes the bowl of pits and he gives it to the guy that he, that he collected the $20,000. And the guy says to him, Rebbe, why are you giving me cherry pits? He says, anytime you do a very big chasid for a person, in the end, they throw stones. So do me a favor. Don't throw stones. Here's a bunch of cherry pits. When the time comes that you want to throw, throw the cherry pits, not the stones. That's what happens. That's what happens when you do good. So a person has to understand that when you do good, you have to be... You have to break your... You have to be an un-of and you have to break yourself and understand. If I'm doing it because I want appreciation... You're not, you're not going to do it for long. It's not, it's not going to work. There's a girl that came to me who was really having a very hard time and very depressed, and I told her that she should go help autistic or Down syndrome children. Why? Because the giver, right, when you give specifically to these children, they're very honest and they're very open, and you give to them, so they, they give back. And I said, you, you need this, you know, you need a relationship, because she had some really bad relationships. You need a relationship with someone that you can trust, who's not trying to, you know, mess you up. These kids are very straight up. And, and they're very loving, and, and so so I thought that would be a great idea. Most of the time, it works. Well, they gave her an autistic kid that was beating on her. Mom is physically... He used to punch her and hit her. And it was very, very physical. And Shimamish came back to me crying. And she was like, I give back. This kid, every time I try to be nice to him, he hits me. I can't do this. And I'm like, if you could do this, if you could give to a kid who's hitting you for being nice, again, physically, if you can handle it, it's like the greatest message. You will become a person that is absolutely a superstar. It's it's one thing you, you you say something nice to a kid or you have a Down syndrome kid and he gives you a big hug at the end of the day and you feel good, right? That kind of chesed is great. Don't get me wrong, but the kind of chesed where at the end of the day you get punched, a whole day you work with the kid at the end of the day you get punched and you come back the next day to that kid, I was like, you're gonna be a galah, you're gonna be a gula in chesed. You're gonna be absolutely amazing. And you know what? It took a month, and she showed me her black and blue marks. She had mom black and blue marks, and it took a month. And the kid stopped. He stopped hitting her, and became very close to her. And she thanked me to this day that I that I set that up. So yeah, it's not it's not easy. Don't get me wrong, but that's what real chesed is. And that's what Yosef Atzadik's brothers did to him. They sold him down the river. They sold him to Mitzrayim But his sensitivity. And I spoke about this past Shabbos and I, it blew people away. His sensitivity saved the world. How did his sensitivity save the world? So let's, let's just take him apart for a minute. So you have this boy, he's 17 years old. He's his father's favorite. His father made him a very special Ksenius possum. He's Ruchel he's roughly Imenu's son. He's Ben older brother. Okay. Very sensitive, very sensitive kid. And he gets sold down to Mitzrayim. Not only does he get sold down to Mitzrayim, first they, first they strip him down and they throw him into a pit. They try to kill him. They threw him into a pit without any clothing on. You know what was in that pit? As one thing you get thrown into a well of water. It's not very comfortable. There were snakes in there and scorpions without clothing on. Okay, do I have to be more like creative here? That's a pretty painful situation. And the snakes and the scorpions stayed away from him. They wouldn't go near him. Like Daniel, in the, in the, with the lions. So at that point, they should have said, uh, this is a miracle. We threw our brother into a pit of snakes and they're not touching him. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe he's right. No. They sold him. So they sell him down to Mitzrayim. You just get into Yosef's, I want you to get into Yosef's head a little bit. So his brothers, including the ones that he protected, sell him down to Mitzrayim. He's alone. He's in a caravan, right? With strangers. Now you have to understand how Kaddish, according to the Chida, Yaisif HaTzadik was a Gilgal of Adam. He was the Yisait of the Olam. He was pure Kedusha. So you took this boy of pure Kedusha and you sent him down with a bunch of Arabs. Right in a caravan no tefillin, no minion, no tzitzit no yarmulke, no mikvah nothing like a goy and he ends up coming down to Mitzrayim and they put him on the slave block they put him up for sale and who buys him? Potipha Sarah Tabachim the butcher who was gay? says Rashi Rashi says he bought Yosef for himself. Okay? Rashi, Befebisha Rashi. Look it up. Where he gets married to Asnaz Bat Rashi says, bought him for Mishkav Okay? Yosef at Gets bought to be someone's boy. Ends up in this house, this low life's house, Potifa. Does amazing. Does amazing. The whole house says, "says the Chomish, turns around. Everything's growing. Panos is amazing. The sa, the the, the the he says, Potiphar says, "I see that my house is blessed because of this boy." Okay, so now, if I'm the guy that's making you, that's making your house blessed, a little reward, like a little what? What happens? The woman of the house that he caused to be blessed messes with him. What's his reward for bringing blessing to this house? Potiphar puts him in jail knowing that he did nothing wrong. He knew he did nothing wrong. Puts him in jail. Once again, Yosef gets paid back. Instead of appreciation, he ends up being thrown into an Egyptian dungeon. Not a place that you want to be. But the one thing that he always had was sensitivity. He was very sensitive to other people's needs. So what what happens? And this is what really saved the world. Okay? At the end, Apashat Vayeshev says the following. So he's in the bar. Right? He's in the bar. He's in the dungeon. This is it. alone. They both have a dream, fine. Now. And Yosef was, came to them in the morning, you know, they all got together for breakfast, or whatever. Number one, girls. So if you want to help other people, you have to see them. If you're looking at your phone and everything else in the world, and you're very busy with yourself, then you can't see anybody else. I always say, the person that gets in the way from you seeing the other person is you. If you're in front of yourself and you're busy with yourself, then you can't see anyone else. You've got to remove yourself to see others. So the first thing the Pusik says is, Vayar, Oysam. back to my, my, my share on Avram, on, on Avram Avinu, which says Vayar twice. So the first thing is, he's a Jew. He's in jail. What does he care about these two Arabs that are in the dungeon with him? Who cares? Leave me alone, right? some he saw them oh you looked at somebody they looked depressed you hear he's in a dungeon with cutthroats he's in a mitzvah dungeon and he's worried these two Egyptians looked depressed did they care about if he looked depressed nobody cared about it if he looked depressed but he worried they looked depressed okay so you come to work and the girl sitting in your office looks depressed. All right, take some pills, you know, and you don't call me in the morning. Like, me what do I have to do with her? I don't know her. She's not even Jewish. What do I need? To, what do I have to do with her? So she looks depressed. Get a life. I got my own problems, right? We think about that all the time. I got my own stuff. I don't worry about your stuff. So he saw they're depressed. So what saved the world? Listen to what Yosef did. So he said, he said to these two the the, the these two servants of Paro, Hayom, why are your faces look so bad today? Let's see who's really sharp here. What does that mean? Yeah, why does it say Hayom? Because when he saw their faces First of all, they're in prison. Wouldn't they be depressed all the time? But he was so spiritually connected with people, he realized that something really bad happened to them, that their faces really had a different face, and it was the day after they had the bad dreams. And he really saw the trouble in their faces. But he said the word Hayom, what does that mean? Today. What does that mean? That, it, that means that he looked at their face every day. He said, why is your face depressed today? He didn't say, why is your face, your face depressed he said, why today? That means that until that day, he always looked at them. They weren't depressed because they didn't have the dream. So here's Yosef at Sadiq in a dungeon and he's looking at the people in the dungeon to see. Shalom Aleichem, good morning. Hi. Oh, you look okay. Oh, you look okay. Today, two of you guys don't look okay. My dua. Not I got my own stuff. Or oh, did he have his own stuff? As far as he was concerned, he was stuck there for life. He was put in prison for life. So, his whole thing was, every day, I meet you guys, you're happy, you're making a joke, what's going on today? So, that's when they told him, what's going on today is we had this dream, and then he translated the dream, and then, when the butler got out, he told Paro, that there was a Jew who had a who was able to translate a dream and then he got out and he translated Pilate's dream and he became second to the king and he translated the dream and by translating the dream he saved the world because he figured out that there would be seven good years and seven bad years. How did this whole thing come about? Because he asked two Egyptians what's bugging you? Why do you look bad today? That's who he was. He was very sensitive to other people. Not just his brothers who were from the Shifchahs, but even two lowly Arabs. Do you know how many other people were in there who didn't care that these guys didn't look good that day? And if he wouldn't have asked that question, they wouldn't have told him the dream, he would have never gotten out of there. So by caring about other people, that's what ended up getting him out of there. Why am I telling you all this? Because in this week's parsha, something happens that is absolutely mind-boggling to show you who Yosef really is. So, in the Yalkeh where he, it's, it's sort of the Medrish, so he brings down the whole interchange, the whole thing between, between Yosef and Yehuda, and he says that, here, Amaleh Yehuda, Binyamin Atta Tophus. he didn't know he was Yosef, he thought he was just Paros number two. He said, you took my brother Binyamin? Miyat Yehuda, Immediately, who they got angry. Vishag Bako Ram. He yelled and a, he, no, he roared. Vishag means he roared. His voice carried 400 parsos. Achashama Chushim To Chushim who was deaf, heard him. And he joined him. He came from, from Eretz and he joined him. And they, and they, they decided that they were going to, they were going to kill him. And he saw, he saw that Yehuda was so angry. Right, listen to this. He said, "Shira Yosef Shimanu Shol Yehuda." He knew that Yehuda was very angry. How? Ma'asimanu Shol Yehuda. Einol Shol Yamin Zalegas Dumb. His right eye was tearing blood. He had five five shirts. When he when he got angry, his ears. Ripped all of them, at, all of them. So Yosef knew that he was in very big trouble. So so at that point, what should have he done? He should have said, uh-oh, I'm about to get killed. I need Yosef. Don't kill me, I'm Yosef. But he had a problem, girls. The problem was that there were Mitram in the room. So Yehuda's in his face, he's about to kill him, and the room is full of Mitrim. So he didn't want to embarrass. You hear this? You hear this? You hear this after what they did to him? He didn't want to embarrass his brothers because he knew they were going to say, I need Yosef, in front of the Mitrim, right? They're going to be embarrassed that in front of the Mitzrim they heard that they sold him. So here he is. He's about to get killed by Yehuda and he's got this problem. He's like, um, I, I can't say who I am in front of the Mitrim. So the Pasuk says that he sent all the mitrim out of the room sent them all out of the room. So he put his life in danger because now it was just Yosef and his brothers and his brothers wanted to kill him again, not knowing that he was Yosef. And he, the Medrash said that he put his life in danger for one reason. He put his life in danger because he did not want to embarrass his brothers. No way. So he said, if I have to die without ever telling them who I am, it's worth it. That they should not be embarrassed. This is who... This is who Yosef HaTzadik was. This was his sensitivity... From the beginning when the Torah talks about it... To the last Pasuk in Vayichi... Where the Torah talks about it... Because he... He tried to make them feel better. So what happens? So he says... He says... I need Yosef, right? Well first of all... The question is... Why did he ask... Right... Why did he ask, ha'od avichai? Ten times they told him, we have an old father, and he doesn't want to lose his second kid, and we have an old father, and we have an old father, and we have an old father. So he knew that his father was alive. So why, when he said, I need Yosef, did he say, ha'od avichai? And if he was asking, he should have said what? Ha'od avichai? No. He should have said, ha'od avinuchai. Is our father alive? His father and their father were the same man. So why do you say is my father alive? You should say it's our father alive. So he was giving them Musr. And after he said, I need Yosef, he said, If I'm Yosef and my father is Yaakov, but you guys don't treat me like a brother. You don't feel that I'm a brother then he can only be my father he can't be your father in other words if, if, if I have a father and you're not my brother then my father can't be your father so he was giving them muster, and he said my father if my father is still alive it's not our father you didn't treat me like a brother so if you didn't treat me like a brother it's our father but there's a beautiful chidah and the chidah says that he was really worried that his father was dead I, the Torah kept saying over and over, we have an old father, we have an old father. So he said like this, Yosef. Yosef said, I look like my father. We spoke about this a few weeks ago. I look exactly like my father. And now I have a beard. So now my much look like my father. And they don't recognize me. This whole time, coming down, going back, coming down, they don't recognize me. If my father was alive and they really just left him, then how could they not recognize me? But if my father died 10 years ago and they already forgot how my father looks, maybe that's why they're not recognizing me, says the Chidah. The reason they don't recognize me is because my father's really not alive. And they haven't seen him in 10, 15 years. So now when they come down, they don't know what he looks like anymore. So he said, it can't be that he's alive you left him two days ago. You see me, and you don't put two and two together. Because you just saw his face. What does the Pasuk say? The Pasuk says that after he said, after he said, I need you, I said, what does it say in the Pasuk? He says, they became scared, right? They became scared. Nivhal Miponav. They said, here, let me just say it. They couldn't answer him because they were in awe of his face. Like, how could we have not recognized him? He looks exactly the 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 the, the that's brought down here. The muster is that when you come when you come to the next world and you realize that you lived your whole life a lie. They lived their whole life that Yosef deserved misa. Yosef to be sold. They paskin They had a bezdin, and all of a sudden, I need Yosef. They found out that their whole life was a lie. There's no worse feeling. of halumi panov. They 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 were in awe of his face. They were like, oh my gosh, we're looking at this face the whole time, and we didn't recognize who you are. Now that you say you are Yosef, how did we not recognize who you are? You have the same face. You know what the answer is? The answer is that when they came down to Betrayim, they didn't look for him in the base Medrash. They didn't look for him in second to the king. The Medrash says they looked for him in the red light district. They let, looked for him amongst the Zainas. They went to the streets of the Zainites and they said if Yosef, who was a pretty boy, ended up in Mithraim, must be he's a zaina. So a person who you pass in your head is a zaina. when you look at them, they, could, they can't be a Tzaddik. Yeah, this is who I think she is. I told you the story. Terrible story. Terrible story that happened to one of my my students. A terrible story. She was in, I'm not going to say what school, she was in a flaplish Yaakov type of school. And she got kicked out in 10th grade. She got kicked out in 10th grade. Mama's on the street. They didn't find her in another school. They just threw her out. And she picked herself up, and it was the first year that my school was open. Eight, nine years ago, and she came to my school, and she turned her life around, and she got married, and she was a shaitel, and she's from, and she has a kid, and she's mamish, a regular, fabulous, from lady, you would never know that this kid ever did anything wrong, you would never know. She mamish, I have her piercings in my tallest bag, she took them out, she did everything, she mamish, and, and she's in Glatmont on a Friday morning, and the man who threw her out, the principal who threw her out is in Glotmart. And she's not angry. She's not an angry kid. And she's proud of what she became and her struggle. And she runs up to him and she goes, Rabbi, whatever his name is, do you recognize me? And he looks at this woman in a shetel and he says, No. But I have a lot of girls and a lot of graduate graduates. What's your name? And she says, I'll make up a name, Tamara Schwartzberg. He says, You're not Tamara. You're the you're the younger sister. She goes, "No, no, I'm Tamara." No, he says, "It's impossible." That's what he told her. It's impossible. She goes, "No, you threw me out in tenth grade. There's no way." Stop making jokes. You're a younger sister. And she called me up, so broken. She said, "I just wanted to say, wow, wow. You must have worked so hard. I just I just wanted some recognition." He crushed me. He said, "It's impossible." I said. He wasn't saying it's impossible that you're who you are. He was saying it's impossible that he made a mistake. <laughs> yeah. That's what he was saying. In other words, if if you're the girl who's threw in the 10th grade and you ended up like this, I'm an idiot. I'm a fool. I made a huge mistake. You, you, I can't be an idiot. I can't be a fool. I can't make a mistake. So you cannot be that person. If you're looking for Yosef in the red light district, then you can be looking at his face sitting there a second to the king, and not recognize him. I need Yosef, he said. I'm not a guy in the red light district. I'm Yosef at tzaddik. And it brings down, they stood there, and they still didn't believe him. And they said, you might be Yosef, but you're not Yosef at tzaddik. Maybe you're still a low life. How do we know that you're Atzadik?" Tzadik? And Rashi says, that he said, Vayigash Elov, he said, guys, come here, read the Pulsar. Right? Why did he tell him to come close? He told me he's Yosef at Sadiq. No, no, they didn't believe him. They didn't believe that he, they thought, oh, you're a lowlife. You're, you're Yosef. Yeah, you can't, to betray him. All right. But you're, you're one of them. Yosef Geshu no Eli. Stop looking at me from afar. Stop making judgments because of what I look like. Come close to me. But Yigoshu, they came close. And now he changed it. And he said, I'm Yosef, your brother. You guys, you sold me down to Mitzrayim. Says Rashi. What is this Geshuna Eli? What did he show them? So it's not Rashi. It's a different, it's a different Mfayrish. It says that he showed him his Brismila. What does it mean that he showed him his Brismila? What does he mean he showed him his bris milah. So the Chazal writes right all the him He didn't show him his bris milah. but he showed him, and they saw in Ruha Kodesh that he was never him in his bris milah, That he was kodesh. He never with any women. He never did anything wrong. He showed them that I'm kodesh. I'm not who you think I am. I'm not the guy that you're looking for in the red light district. I'm Yosef Atzalek. He says you come close. Stop looking at me from afar. That's what, that's why you sold me. You come close. That's what she was saying to this principal. I'm not the girl you threw out. You're looking for me in all the wrong places. I'm a Tadekista, but he would not give in. He was like, he was like, impossible. It's impossible. It's such a very big lesson. But right away, you know, he said he was tough, and he yosei he was tough, but right away he became Yosef the tzaddik Man, He couldn't be tough. Yosef couldn't be tough. It says here twice that he cried. He went into a room, closed the door, and cried by himself. You know what you're talking about? You're talking about Yosef Tzadik. He's running the world, right? When he came to his brother, when he came to his family, he, he just couldn't hold back his crying. He saw Binyamin, he couldn't hold back his crying. He was soft. He was soft inside. So right away, right away, right? He says, I'm the guy you spoke to and Now they figured they're going to really get it on their head. No, don't get depressed, don't get depressed, don't get angry, you didn't do anything wrong brothers, you didn't do anything wrong, Hashem put in your head to sell me, so I would come down to Mitzrayim and I'd be able to save the world, you're a bunch of good guys, not your fault, you're not bad guys, you did what Hashem wanted you to do, you sold me so I could save the world. He didn't even hold the, the criticism for more than one word. You sold me to Mitzrayim. And then he twisted it. You sold me to Mitzrayim so I could save the world. He couldn't even give them muster. How so much he loved them. And that was his midah from all the way in the beginning. And that was his midah that saved the world because he saw that some people that were very unimportant in his life... Looked depressed, and he asked them why. Changed the whole world. Changed his life, got him out of, uh, got him out of jail, changed the whole world. Just caring about other people. There's another where he said, um, I saw in a safer that he was saying, he was talking about Hashem. He said, I need Yahisef. Is God still around? He sold me. Like, what happened to God? He was giving them Musr. It's like, God's still around? Is, my, is our father, is my father still around? What happened to Hashem? You sold me? What happened to Hashem? Where's Hashem in this picture? And he really gave them Musr. So, just to move into a little bit to Hashem. So I want to tell you something very interesting and I, I spoke about it to Shabbos also. Hashem Mamish sent me a crazy Mashavah. So, a teacher called me that they have a 10th grader in a very firm school and she's asking a crazy amounts of questions about God all of a sudden a very from girl it's newer everything the whole thing in a very from school and, and they took her to this Reviton they took her to that Reviton and they can't they don't know where it's coming from she says she really has questions she says she wasn't abused she didn't go through anything no reason to have these questions and nobody can find out why so maybe we'll see. Maybe you can talk to her. I'll come with her. And, and maybe you can answer some of her questions. Okay, Sunday morning, no problem. Come to my house. So this teacher walks in. tenth great teacher with this kid. They sit down. Hi, how are you? How are you? So here you have questions. I took out a piece of paper. Okay, here you have questions on God. Let me hear uh, what, what's, what's the problem. What are your questions? She goes, well, number one, I never saw him. I don't hear him. I talk to him all the time. He doesn't answer me. How do you know there's really a God? Mm, good question okay number two who's his father where does he come from right say okay do I know his grandfather is also just his father okay just his father okay we can work on that no problem Um, why did he why did he create the world I said for chesed he wants to give us chesed so how do you know he didn't put it on automatic how do you know he didn't create the world and leave it's a chesed if you turn on the air conditioning in someone's house I pay for your air conditioning and then I leave and the air conditioning keeps going it's not a chesed he was a smart kid very smart kid I'm just looking at her She's asking me these questions I'm writing down A little bit the questions I said What grade are you in? Tenth grade? I said now I'm going to ask you Some questions She goes sure I'm like Did you learn the story In Bayera About The three angels That came to Yaakov Avinu Sure You know what their names was? Yeah Rafal, Gavriel, Michal They had four jobs They had three jobs I said, good Did you learn about um, The angels That were going up And down the ladder In Yaakov's dream Right? Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm like, how about pashas like Yishlach? Yishlach Yaakov Malachim. You know what Rashi says? She goes, yeah, Malachim Mamish, Not messengers, but real angels. Can I ask you a question? She goes, sure. I'm like, when you learned this, how come you didn't ask anything about angels? Where do they come from? Who's their father? How do they move? Do they die? I never saw one. I never heard one. How you know it's true? How come you learned all about angels and all these different pashas and you just accepted it? And the same questions that you have on God, I have on angels. How come you never asked about angels? No one in 37 years of me being a Rebbe, with kids at risk, atheists, no one has ever called Rebbe Wallstein and said, I don't believe in angels. I've never seen them, I've never heard them, I learned about them, how do they move, what are they made out of, who's their father, do they have brothers and sisters, who was here before them, how do they die, do they die, how come no one ever asked me those questions? How come Torah doesn't have a spot for questions on angels? How come you don't have a problem when you when you read Peter Pan, right? That there's a little fairy flying around. How come God has all these questions? She goes, I I don't know. I never I I, I never thought of asking about it. I'm like, why? Why didn't you? That's a big piece of the story. Three angels come to Rome. They eat. They sit. They bless. They burn Sodom. They destroy Sodom. I said, you read the whole story in Sodom. They're in the house. They're out of the house. They're, 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 They're taking them up into the cave. All kinds of stories about these angels. They closed the door. They made everybody blind. Nobody here ever asked me a question about it. How did they make them blind? How did they close the door? When they're human, when they're in human form, do they really eat? Nothing. I said, you know why? Because angels don't tell you what to do. So you don't got to get rid of them. You don't have to have any questions on them. Because they don't tell you to be a tznuah. They don't tell you to keep Shabbos. So I don't got a problem believing in them. God, I got a questions. I said, you don't have any more questions on God than you have on angels. Your questions are your answers to your behavior. Something's bugging you, and therefore you have to have questions on Hashem. Now, you're a 12th grader. I don't think you're, machal, you're a 10th grader. You're not Machal Shabbos. You're not eating treif. You're dressed very Tzniya I'm willing to bet my house. I'm a pretty nice house. I said, I'm willing to bet my house you're talking to a boy. And she looks at me and the teacher's like... (laughs) I'm like, my house is on it. So do I own my house or do you own my house? And she looks at me and she goes, you still own your house. How did you know? I said, because you don't have questions on angels because angels didn't tell you you can't talk to a boy you have questions on Hashem because in your mind you're a very from girl and it's correct you shouldn't be talking to boys I said but the problem is and this is something it's very important when we, when we do something wrong and we have to get rid of God so then we have all these questions start creeping in But you, and this is what I told her I said you have to learn to separate it I'm a diabetic. By now everyone knows that, so it's not a big secret. Now, diabetic, diabetes, right? You gotta take medicine, and then if you don't take care of it, you gotta take shots, you gotta take insulin, and I think like 40% of America has type 2 diabetes by the time they're 50, and it's, it's a, it's a tough disease. It, 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 it hurts you in many different ways. Your kidneys, your eyesight, your heart. It's a tough disease. So you take medicine and you're supposed to exercise and eat the things that you're supposed to. But I have this big tie for potato chips. I love wise potato chips. Chocolate and wise potato chips. So, you know, when you come home at night and everything's quiet and you had a rough day and you look to everybody's problems, so a good bag of wise potato chips with a good cold seltzer, everything turns out to be good after that. So... I'm sitting there and I got this white potato chips who I've been fighting for a, a long time and I lose. And I'm like, one bag of potato chips to pota-, and it happens to be potato chips is worse than sugar because sugar, when you eat it, your body will break it down but potato chips is a starch so then the starch becomes a sugar. Later on, it stays in your body a lot longer so potatoes and rice for a diabetic is like the worst, you better eat a bar of chocolate. It's like the worst poison. I like potato chips. So, and, and the excuse in your head is it doesn't have sugar on it it has salt so like how's that going to hurt me but we know it's going to hurt you so Robert Wallstein's sitting there at night and he just finished a bag of potato chips now if I was to say at that point because I really wanted them and I ate them you know what diabetes is not a disease and all these people and these doctors And insulin and all this medicine is a bluff. It's only because the pharmacies and the drug companies want to make a lot of money. The whole thing is fake. I don't believe in it. I know a guy who's 90 years old. My grandmother was 94, diabetic, and died. You see? The whole thing's a bluff. You can live long with diabetes. So you know what? I'm going to have chocolate ice cream. A big moose cake, a huge bag of barbecue potato chips, and I'm just going to keep eating and eating until I die. Why? Because that ba- ba- that bag of potato chips, I feel so guilty eating it. So it can't be that all that stuff is true. So Austin, you're an idiot. There's something mentally wrong with you. How are you? Why are you associating the bag of potato chips? Because you can't control yourself. Why are you throwing the whole medicine, medical world on diabetes out the door? Just say, you're out of control. You have a typho, and you're having a problem with it, and maybe you should get hypnotized against potato chips, right? That when you see potato chips, they look like monsters, and you run into the next room. Maybe hypnosis, whatever it is. But why are you throwing the baby out with the bath water? So I said to this girl, because you're talking to a boy... Doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. Doesn't mean that the whole Torah doesn't exist and where did he come from and all that, and all those questions. It means that you have a taiva and you're doing something wrong. You're diabetic and you're eating potato chips. But don't throw out all the, all the med- medical knowledge on diabetes. Don't all of a sudden because you are now talking to a boy, now I'm throwing out Hashem because there are all these questions. So now I'm going to do things with the boy. I'm going to be on a halal Shabbos. I'm going to eat traif. What are you doing? You're killing yourself. You're killing your soul. And for some reason, we have this problem. That if we do one thing wrong, then that means that the whole religion is out the window. I can't handle that I'm wrong. I'm wrong. i got to work on myself. i got to make sure there's no potato chips in the house. Whatever I have to do. But that doesn't mean that the diabetic medicines and everything else is wrong. That you should sit there and eat cake and eat chocolate and eat yourself to death. It's a fool. That's what I told her. I said, don't don't throw the whole Yiddishkeit out because you're struggling with something. There are 613 mitzvahs. Don't throw everything out. The teacher called me an hour later after she dropped off and said, how did you know? I mean, we went to this Rebetzin and that Rebetzin and we took their therapist and we went there. Rabbi Wallace, seemed like, chachma, chachma. she kept saying Chachma. I'm like, Chachma, nothing. I'm saying, it's not Chachma was a 10th tenth, tenth grader from girl and from yeshiva all of a sudden has she woke up one morning like where's God come on it doesn't happen it, it, it doesn't work that way she's got something going on she's eating a bag of potato chips and she decided to throw all diabetes out all the information on diabetes that's a fool Baruch Hashem, very big because she was so shocked that I was able to know that. and then I asked her is the guy in yeshiva and she was like I'm not telling you because you're going to figure out who he is I'm like yeah, like 9,000 guys in yeshiva. I'm going to fill, fill whatever. But I think it's a very, very important lesson for all of us. If you do something wrong, you did something wrong. It's not the end of the world. It's tshuva, and you got to work on it, and you got to work on it. Don't, don't give up. You know, it's like the diet and Girls here probably know more about it than I do, right? But I've dieted. I've done all this, a couple of crazy diets also. Um, every time one of my daughters gets married, i got to lose 60 pounds for the pictures, for the wedding, and then right afterwards... By, by the dessert of the wedding, I'm already not keeping it. <laughs> so, the diet is the same thing, and, 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 and I've seen this happen. So This girl, she has friends, and she goes on a diet, and she loses 40 pounds, 40, 50 pounds, and she looks great. And of course, all her friends are jealous, but they won't say anything. They'll say, wow, you look great, you know? And and they go, and she really works. And Nebuchadnezzar, the poor girl, she eats tofu, all this stuff that has absolutely zero taste, right? And she's on this crazy water diet, and then you got to take all those vegetables. And I know, I'm not making fun of it. Don't get upset. And they juice it. And the thing looks green. And like parsley and celery. I know it's healthy. But for us people that eat like potato chips, it's like, whoa, whoa. Right? So she was on a juice diet. So she's juicing all this stuff. And like her complexion is turning green. Because all she drinks is green. It happens, by the way. Like if you do carrots, you get a little orange. Right? So, And she worked very hard. And she lost these 40 pounds. She feels good, and she's exercising. Everything's great. True story. And her friends go out for a birthday. And she's in a restaurant. And she's eating her chicken without anything on it, and her steamed broccoli. I mean, like, no taste, right? But she's really doing well. And it comes to dessert, and they bring out a chocolate, delicious chocolate birthday cake. And they give everyone a piece, and she says no. And her friends, who are really jealous, but they're making, whatever, we're not going to get into the psyche of human beings, are like, you have to have a piece of cake. It's her birthday. And she goes, I'm on a diet. Come on, one piece of cake? What is one piece of cake going to do? So you go on the treadmill tomorrow, 20 extra minutes. Now, this person is dying for a piece of cake. So they became her excuse. You're looking for an excuse, right? And they're like, come on, Miriam. Come on, we're all having a piece of cake. We're all very careful what we eat. We got to do this for, you know, for Hani. And she's like, okay. And she eats the chocolate cake. And she breaks her diet. And a month later, she's up 50 pounds. She's binging and she's eating nonstop. Why? Because sometimes on a diet, it's as long as you don't, as long as you don't break it. The minute you break it, I forgot, there's a word that they use for it. The minute you break that, you were like 40 days and the minute you break it, it's like the diabetic. It's like all off. That's a head cake? Forget it. Michigan you had a piece of cake? What is that already? So you gained a pound? So go work out tomorrow for an extra hour and you're back to where you were because deep down you wanted more cake. So you're looking for excuse. So now that I cheated and I broke my... Oh, that's the word streaking. It's called streaking. I broke my streak, my 40-day streak. So now you have an excuse in your head. I broke it anyway! I had a bag of potato chips anyway! So I could have three slices of pizza. I, I broke it and Today I'm not, today I'm not taking care of my diabetes. So you're always looking in your head to, to have an excuse to break what you're trying to do. So here's your excuse. You had a piece of cake. She gained all the weight back and then some. If you look at it, it's like, what did you do? You worked so hard. It was just a piece of cake. It's called streaking. You break my streak, I'm done. We have this with Minion. We get guys to go to Minion, right? And they go to Minion, they're 40 days, 60 days. They go to Minion. All of a sudden, they're not Minion anymore. I'm like, what happened? I didn't see you Minion for two weeks. He's like, oh, I missed one day. I'm like, so what? <laughs> that's it, he gave up. His streak was over. My streak is up. That's not. That's not what we're supposed to do. So in Yiddishkeit right, if you if you stop listening to Jew, whatever it is, you stop listening to non-Jewish music you decide you skirt whatever it is and you broke it, and you 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 went to a concert, or you went to an opera, or you went to a Broadway show, and you haven't gone in such a long time, and you broke it, and I'm not telling you you should break it, and you broke it, doesn't mean that right after that, I went to a Broadway show so now I'm going to all the Broadway shows I'm, I'm changing my skirts, I'm, I'm what, calm down, you broke the diet, you made a mistake, okay you talked to a boy so you're giving up Hashem, you need to know where he's born, where he went, what's going on with him. Calm down. Step back in. You stepped out, step back in. And continue. And my bracha to everybody here is that you should have a lot of and Hashem should give you the to, to have clarity and that we should learn from Yosef Atzadik that no matter how much someone hurts you, And he was hurt extremely, extremely bad. In the end of the day, he was willing to put his life on the line that he sent out all the Egyptian soldiers and he knew that he was in danger just not to insult the people who hurt him. Just not to insult the people who hurt him. That's what he was worried about. And even when he gave them musur, he couldn't do it. He said... You sold me to Mitzrayim, but you did the right thing, because that's what Hashem wanted. Hashem should give us all such unbelievable midos, and we should be able to see Yosef Sadek, Nebuch, what they're doing to his grave in, 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 in Shechem, in Eretz Yisrael, the Arabs, they burnt his grave, and they knocked it down, and they did whatever they can, but it says that Yosef will be the one, will be the fire that will destroy Esav. We should all be zayiched to see that B'kara, Thank you.